So today we're going to pick up with a series we paused right before Advent last year. We called it Unsung Heroes, and it's a series that looks at some of the heroes in the Bible that we don't necessarily spend as much time focusing on. We may know their names, some of us may even know their stories, but do we see them as heroes? We're titling this series Unsung Heroes Part 2, and we'll continue to look at some of the lesser-known characters in Scripture. We find our first unsung hero that we'll be looking at in the continuation of this series in the book of 1 Kings, chapter 17. There's a famine in the land of Israel. King Ahab is worshiping Baal, the god of his wife Jezebel. This has angered Yahweh, the God of Israel, and so he has commanded his servant Elijah to speak against Ahab and Jezebel and against the land of Israel by declaring that there will be no dew or rain for the next few years except at the word of God as spoken through the mouth of his prophet Elijah. Now this obviously doesn't go over very well with Ahab and the rest of Israel. So God sends Elijah into hiding. He hunkers down next to a creek out in the wilderness and is fed by ravens who bring him bread and meat every morning and night. Not, not your typical setup, to be sure. But hey, God works in strange ways sometimes. But it's about to get a little crazier for old Elijah. You see, the creek dries up. And God speaks to him again, telling him to go to the land of Zarephath in the land of Sidon and to hang out there. Because there will be a widow there who will supply him with food and drink. Now, Zarephath is a little town on the Mediterranean coast. It's about 100 miles north of where Elijah is currently camped out at the now dried up creek. And God wants him to hike up to this land in the middle of a drought. It's hot, he's hungry, water's pretty scarce. It's not going to be an easy journey for old Elijah. If that wasn't enough, God has sent him to Sidon. This is the land that Ahab's wife Jezebel grew up in. This is the land that she brought her worship of Baal from. God is sending Elijah out of Israel and straight into enemy territory. And the cherry on top? He's to be fed by a widow. She's not an Israelite. Her people worship Baal. And what's more, God has made it clear in his commands that the widows are to be taken care of, not dependent upon. They don't have much. They don't have anyone to provide for them. And in the culture of the day, that was a death sentence. They're to be cared for by God's people. And here God is sending him to a woman who doesn't even know or believe in Yahweh. And Elijah is supposed to make this long, difficult journey into enemy territory to be provided for by someone who, in all likelihood, can't even provide for herself. Great. Sounds like a plan. This makes all the sense in the world. And so, being the prophet that he is, Elijah follows God's direction, his word, to the letter. And that's where we will pick up with our text this morning. We'll be reading from 1 Kings chapter 17. We'll be looking at verses 10 to 16. If you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to follow along. If not, there should be a Bible in the pew in front of you. And if you would prefer, we have the words up on the screen. We read the word of the Lord this morning, 1 Kings. Chapter 17, verses 10 to 16. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? 
As she was doing it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me that you or from what you have and bring it to me, and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. So she went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Thus ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. Pray this in your name. Amen. It had been a, a long, emotionally and physically draining week. Karen and I were sitting in the living room, and the boys' bedtime rolled around. And that was exciting. Because make no mistake, we, we love our kids, but there is a particular sense of relief that settles over the house once our rambunctious, energetic, incredibly fun family goes to sleep. That peace doesn't fall as soon as the clock tolls bedtime, however. Karen and I looked at each other. Who is going to put the kids to bed? Sometimes we tag team it, but recently with Karen's pregnancy and new job being a particular drain on her energy stores and my involvement in arguably too many side projects, uh, effectively wearing me out by the time evening hits, instead of going up together, we've resorted to taking turns, abandoning each other to the long walk up the stairs and the valiant attempts at harnessing, but eventually just curbing the chaos of six boys getting ready for bed. There are times I wonder how the house stays together as the combined energy is unleashed upon it. I know today is Mother's Day. And this story should continue with me serving my wife by volunteering to ascend to the second floor. But this being Mother's Day, I will instead tell you of how my wife looked into my eyes, saw that I had nothing left to give that evening, brought our one-year-old to the stairs, and slowly trudged up behind him as he proudly and excitedly crawled step by step into the tumult that awaited above. The little punk thrives off chaos. He loves it. Sometimes, sometimes we just don't have much left to give. The example of lacking energy to put my kids to bed is pretty lighthearted most of the time. But I know that there are deeper things that drive us to the brink and leave us feeling empty or without much left to give. Maybe it's emotionally, maybe it's financially, maybe it's socially. There are so many things in life that demand our time and our energy and our resources, and there are times that we just don't have much left to give. We feel empty. We maybe feel alone. Maybe we feel abandoned. Maybe we feel taken advantage of. Maybe we feel angry at those that can't relate to us. Maybe we feel frustrated by our lack of wisdom. 
Maybe we feel jealous of someone else's life. Maybe we feel ashamed that we're so spent and so empty. Maybe we feel guilt over the choices we've made that have led us to this place. There's so many things to feel, and yet as we approach the point of exhaustion, the point of wearing out, it's, it's almost like we begin to feel less. A numbness sets in as we come to terms with where we are emotionally and maybe even spiritually. I can't imagine what it was like for that widowed mother. Her husband is gone. He was supposed to support her. He was the one that was supposed to protect her from her current situation, and and he's not here anymore, taken early by the cruelty of death and leaving her with the added responsibility of caring for their son. She doesn't have much to be hopeful about. The dreams she had for her future died with her husband. The plans she had to take care of her son, slim and scarce though they were, had been choked out by the drought. She had nothing left but a handful of flour, a little bit of oil, and the energy to go and collect sticks that she might have a fire to cook the last meal for her and her young son before they starved to death. She's got nothing left to give. And then this man shows up in town and asks her to grab him a glass of water and a piece of bread. Let's take another look at her response to his request. We find it in verse 12 where we read, As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. She's at the end of her rope. Her her options have been exhausted. There is nowhere else for her to turn. She is so destitute that she has resigned herself to one last meal and then death. And this is the person that God sent Elijah to? What's going on here? How, How is this real life? How is this woman supposed to provide for Elijah when she's at the end of her ability to provide for herself and her son? How does Elijah respond to her words? Verse 13 and 14. Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me, and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. I hear you, replies Elijah. You don't got much. I get it. Still, don't be afraid. And bring me what I've asked of you. Make me some bread out of what you got left. Make some for you and your son, but first make some for me. For God is going to provide what you need. The flour will never be used up and the oil will never run dry until the day the Lord sends rain once again. Can you imagine? Yeah, there's a pretty cool promise at the end of his statement, but he's still asking her to make him food out of the little she has left and before she has even provided for her family. There are times when Karen gives me a look when I sweetly ask if she wants the privilege of putting the boys to bed at night. I don't wish that look on anyone. Can you imagine the look this widowed mother sent Elijah's way after his request? This dude's playing with fire. But here's the thing. She does it. She goes and makes the bread for Elijah and then makes some for herself. Why? Why does she do this? 
for the same reason that she's an unsung hero in Scripture, for the same reason that God sent Elijah, his prophet, to her. He sent Elijah out of the land of Israel, away from the people that were supposed to be following Yahweh, the true God, but abandoned him for other gods. And God sent Elijah into the land from which those gods had come to the door of an impoverished widow. Why? Because of her faith. Because of her faith. The first line of verse 12 tells us what we need to know. As surely as the Lord your God lives. As surely as the Lord your God lives. She knows of the God of Israel and she believes in his power. She has faith in his ability. And through this faith, because of this faith, God provides for her and her son. And through the faith of this widowed mother, he also cares for his prophet. Do we think she would have believed in the promise that the flour would not run out and the oil would not run dry if she didn't have faith in the power of the one who made the promise? Our unsung hero, this widowed mother, believed in the God of Israel and it is because of this faith that God sent Elijah to her. And it is because of this faith that she is saved. What fantastic promise there is for us in this story of this wonderful widowed mother. God's provision for someone that does not check all the right boxes is a beautiful testament of his will towards us. The widow wasn't part of the right people. In fact, you could argue she was from the wrong people. Her people's God was Baal, the false god that had led the people of Israel astray. She wasn't affluent. She didn't have anything in the way of resources to give. She wasn't influential. She was overlooked. She was the bottom rung of society. She was unable to provide for herself, much less anyone else. She was failing to provide for the one that had been entrusted to her. And yet God saw her. He saw her faith. And God had mercy on her, and God saved her, and God used her to save his servant, Elijah. Church, we don't all check the right boxes, do we? Maybe we didn't grow up in the church, and so at times we don't really feel like we belong here. This stuff can be kind of weird sometimes, and we're not really sure how we fit. Maybe we grew up in the church and know for a fact that we don't belong here because of how often we haven't done what we know we're supposed to do, and instead have engaged in what we definitely know we aren't supposed to do. Maybe we feel like we just don't have much to give. Life has beaten us up and worn us out. We don't have much money, time, or energy. We feel like we're just a drain on the system. Maybe we've reached the end of our patience, of our strength, of our hope. I don't know where you are at today, but I do know that none of us are the right people. Each of us has fallen short of God's demands. Each of us has run from God in our own way. Each of us has hurt God in our own way. None of us qualifies for the gifts that God gives. None of us has earned God's favor. But church, know this. God knows that too. And it has not caused his love for us to falter. God's love for us will never fade. It will never dry up. It will never leave us. It was out of this great love for us that even though God knew we would never be the right people, he sent his son to earth. Precisely because he knew exactly who we are, he sent us Jesus 
He sent his perfect son to live among the imperfect, to teach and to bless the imperfect. And when his time came, Jesus died for the imperfect. He carried a cross up a hill to the place of the skull. And with that cross, he carried all of the imperfections of the world. He carried all of our sin and all of my sin upon his shoulders. And there, as they nailed him to that cursed tree, he became sin for us. There on that tree, he took everything that isn't right about us upon himself. And there on that tree, he died for it. He paid the price for it that we could not. But he did not stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the grave, defeating sin and death. And when we believe in him, when we have faith in him, we are saved. For it is through faith that we are reconciled to God. The Bible tells us that when we believe in Jesus, the filthy rags of our sin are taken from us and we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We are given what we do not deserve and could never earn. All of this through faith. Church, the Lord your God lives. And he has not forgotten you. He has not stopped loving you. His mercies never end and his grace is abundant. Through faith, the widowed woman was cared for. Because of her faith, she was given flour and oil, and these were provided to her until she would no longer need them, until the rains returned. Through faith, God cares for us. Because of our faith, God has given us mercy and grace. He has given us forgiveness. He will continue to pour out His mercy and grace and will continue to forgive us until we no longer need them until he remakes the world, until we are all made new. What a wonderful promise for us. But as we see with the story of the widowed woman, that does not mean that our journeys here on earth will not be without hardship. For in a rather shocking twist, though God has provided for her because of her faith, she still loses her son. If we were to continue reading after our text this morning, we would see that though the flour and oil do not run out, the woman's son falls ill. He grows worse and worse until one day he passes. How does our unsung hero respond? We read in verse 18 of 1 Kings chapter 17. What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? I love this woman. I love her raw reaction because it's so real. It's so incredibly real. This woman is living in the tangible benefits of faith. She sees it physically at every meal. The flour doesn't run out and the oil doesn't run dry. And yet when hardship hits, when bumps come, when she experiences loss, her first reaction is to say, this is God punishing me, isn't it? I know that I'm not a perfect person. I know that I have messed up, that there are things in my past, in my present that I'm not proud of. And this is God punishing me for those things, isn't it? And man, we get that, don't we? We know that God has poured out his mercy and his grace on us. We've been told time and again that we are forgiven because of Christ's work on the cross, because of the sacrifice that he made, because of our belief in the Son and not because of the things that we have done. And yet when hardship happens, when we experience loss, when life gets difficult, how tempting it is to think that God is punishing us. 
He knows what we've done. He knows who we are. And so he caused bad things to happen that we might remember who we are, that we might get what we deserve. Right? No. In this story of the widowed mother, it is clear that she is not being punished for her past sins as she immediately assumes. For in response to the death of her son, Elijah pleads with God and God brings her son back to life. Now again, this may not and often is not how things happen for us. God does not always take away the hardship that we are going through. He doesn't always bring our loved ones back to life. He doesn't always heal the sickness that has invaded our body. He doesn't always heal our mental anguish. He doesn't always take away our depression and anxiety. He doesn't always remove temptation in the ways that we would like him to. He can. He has the power to do those things, but he does not always work in those ways in our lives. He doesn't always function like we'd like him to. No, instead, God continues to reinforce his promises to us. To this widowed woman, he continues to show his provision for her when he raises her son from the dead. Through the promises of Scripture, God continues to show his provision for us. We receive it when we are baptized into the faith, into God's family. We receive his provision through the Lord's Supper. We receive it through the word of God given to us in Scripture. We receive it through the forgiveness that he generously lavishes upon us. The life is difficult. The hardships do not reflect God's feelings towards us. When things are up, it's not because we've been good. And when things are down, it's not because we've been bad. God's promises are steady. His provision for us is secure. We can rest in the faith that we have been given, the faith that saves. Today is Mother's Day. As we celebrate the wonderful women that God has put in our lives, let us remember the mother out collecting sticks. Let us remember how God cared for her, how God provided for her. And let us remember how God used her faith to provide for his servant, Elijah. And may her life be a reminder of how God cares for you, how God provides for you, and how God will use you in his mission to bring about his kingdom. What a fantastic, loving, gracious, merciful, and just God we serve. 